I sort of hate to do epilogues, but I wasn't sure I quite did justice to the argument that encapsulates the reasons for examining the French Revolution. So generally, in historiography or in sort of the study of the causes in history, what people do is they will either make it larger movements that render the free will of individuals much less robust. Uh, or what they do is they say that there's a coincidence of random factors that all come together and coalesce to produce a particular outcome. And of course, those are two sides of the same coin, and neither one of those things gives individuals actual free will and what to do in society. I mean, I remember I had a professor when I was in graduate school who I really, really disliked. We just, you know, just people just really rub you the wrong way. And I had to do an essay, and he made me redo the essay uh, twice, I think it was. It was on the Crimean War. And in the essay, I basically wanted to, though I lacked courage at the time. I had courage for some things, but that was a bridge too far for me. I wanted to sit down with him and say, what's the purpose of history? What's the purpose of history? The purpose of history is the future, right? The purpose of medicine is health. The purpose of exercise is uh, fitness. The purpose of eating is nutrition. And the purpose of history is the future. And the more that people talk about larger historical forces and the combination of random factors producing an outcome, the more history gets divorced from the future. And that's really, really terrible. I know terrible is not much of an argument, but the whole thing becomes pointless. And I remember giving a big speech in a class about the fall of Rome and how it related to the modern West and uh, finally getting, uh, there was a long pause and the professor said, well, you ought to be on the, in the House of Commons. Or like, it was just something that she was like, well, what's, what's that got to do with what we're doing here? Like, what is, history is like a time machine where people to go back, they get to go back to where things are frozen and spread that frozenness, that lack of ability to change things into the present. You go into the past to strip people of free will in the present. And of course, it's the Marxist analysis and a lot of the sort of power mechanics analysis of the leftists and so on. So the analogy that popped into my head this morning was something like this. So when they first figured out that smoking causes lung cancer, they didn't know the mechanics, they didn't know the details, but what they did do, at least the moral people did at the time, was say, hey, stop smoking, <laughs> right? Stop smoking. They didn't know the mechanics, they didn't know the genetics, but they knew the association, and they said, stop. Stop smoking. That gives people the ability to change behavior in the present, even with an incomplete understanding of the past. Now, there is no complete understanding of the past, and the domino theory erases free will in the present and therefore renders people unable to change the future, unable to apply the lessons of the past to the future. You know, this old thing where history is, uh, uh, those who fail to understand history are doomed to repeat it. Well, that hasn't been solved because the individual responsibility has not been learned from history and applied to the present because people can look at various larger movements and collective decisions and say the individual is unimportant, it's the great man uh, or great woman of history that's important. And of course, most of us aren't the great man or great woman of history, so it doesn't apply to us and we're just toe jam between the dinosaurs of circumstance and uh, dominoes and great men and movements and so on. In which case, 
it's like studying nutrition and the purpose of studying nutrition is the certain knowledge that no one can change their diet. That no one can change. It's like studying health and exercise and medicine and, and self-care and saying nobody can change their life habits. Like studying dieting and saying nobody can reduce their calories. That would be a contradiction, right? So the purpose of most of history, and I remember this from my old Dungeons and Dragons names, this is a thing called the Will of the Wisp, which is this dancing light that leads you deeper and deeper into the swamp until you die, and then it feeds on your essence. So the purpose of history, uh, for most, for the most part, seems to be to get people to sort of dance and dance deeper and deeper into the swamps where they vanish. It's a kind of satanic lure that if you're interested in morality, uh, we say, oh, come study history, and you go study history and complications and collectivism and great men and dominoes and exploitation and class movements and so on, uh, dissolve and sand away and destroy your free will until there's nothing left. And you've been effectively neutered, right? History is mostly neutering people from the exhortations of morality in the present. The lessons that can't be extracted from history and applied to the present are will-o'-the-wisps that draw your consciousness into the giant nothing burger of infinite causality and complication, and it dissolves you into moral atoms that can't coalesce enough to encourage people to virtue in the present. So when we say the lesson of history that nobody learns the lessons of history, it's like, no, no, that, that, because that makes people seem stupid and incompetent. No, history is taken over by people who use it as a lure to draw you in to disintegrate into impotent nothingness in the great swamps of causality so that you can't exhort people reliably to virtue in the present. And you can say, ah, oh, well, in France, more people did X than they did in North America. And it's like, well, yes, but more people in France believed in collectivism and more people in France believed in uh, mysticism and more people in France uh, were brutal and made those choices. So it doesn't really help to say that there was a history of people not changing their minds and therefore people couldn't change their minds. <laughs> it's like, no, no, the history of people not changing their minds was causality. And yes, sometimes we inherit a system or a situation or a social environment where uh, speaking the truth is more challenging, more difficult, more unpleasant. I get that. Which is why you should all the more exhort virtue from people because it's tougher, right? So if you have, let's say, some genetics that says uh, it's more likely for you to become an alcoholic, then you should more robustly be told don't touch alcohol, right? If you have a, gen a susceptibility to gaining weight, like some people can eat whatever they want, they don't gain weight, they become like skinny fat. I happen to be um, more prone to gaining weight, so I have to watch what I eat more. So if there's a tendency towards something, the historians should be putting the metaphorical spears up against the charging horses of inevitability to slow and stop their progress so that the average citizen can win the war against passivity, helplessness, hopelessness, and indifference. So the moralists in France should have been focusing even harder and deeper and more powerfully. And if they had to do this in exile, they had to do this in exile. Whatever it is that they had to do, because they recognized the collectivist and mystical nature of the French character and the prevalence of child abuse, they should have been all the stronger in advocating for what they wanted. People in France, like everywhere else, had the choice between Rousseau and Locke, between brutal religiosity and sweet, instructed delight reason that came from perfidious Albion, sort of French nickname for destructive British government tactics. So, 
the purpose of history, as I've been talking about it, is to exhort you to virtue, both by saying, this is what's necessary, this is what's moral, this is what's good. There's the moral argument, and that's the carrot uh, of moral self-satisfaction. The stick, of course, is what happens when we don't do these things, when we don't speak for virtue. And again, you don't have to nail yourself to a cross. You don't have to get uh, yeeted to the Seychelles Islands to live in a cave. Uh, but there are things that you can do that uh, will put you at some risk socially, but it's a far greater risk, right? I'm asking you to look at the long view. It's a far greater risk if you don't do these things because these kinds of paroxysms, I mean, when you're um, up against the wall being thrown into a ditch or going through some eight-hour struggle session, uh, you probably would wish to go back in time and speak more reason to the people around you, more virtue. So the purpose is, can I explain everything about the cause of the French Revolution? No, and to ask it is kind of insulting. It's insulting to the free will of the people who lived through it and all of the decades that led up to it. I mean, from my very first novel, Revolutions, you can get that at uh, freedomain.com slash books. My very first adult novel, I wrote some stuff before that, but my very first adult novel was Revolutions because I'm fascinated by the Russian Revolution and I went back a generation to what was happening before. Because once you get to the Russian Revolution, then that's the, the nutritionist to the heart attack, right? If you're having a heart attack, you don't call the nutritionist because the nutritionist will say, maybe if you'd listened 10, 20 years ago, you wouldn't have a heart attack, but right now you've got to go to ER. So when you get to these sort of violent extremities, then the philosophers uh, are of no value. I mean, they might be able to tell you how you got there, but they can't change what's happening at the moment. Words don't blunt swords, but words can blunt the words that lead to swords, right? So uh, changing your nutrition, nutritional uh, habits a day before your heart attack isn't going to do much good, but a nutritionist can tell you how to avoid that. So you just move on to different specialists when things get to that kind of extremity. So what happens before is really, really important. And we are still before the potential disasters in the West. We are still before that. And it matters now whether you speak up and speak out. And that's really the purpose of what it is that I've been trying to, to tell you. And when you speak virtue to traumatized people, which is, you know, most people these days, when you speak virtue, truth and reason and peace, and voluntarism to traumatize people, they would be divided into two camps, those who have the potential for growth and those who will implacably oppose you. Being able to differentiate those is really, really important. So you are recruiting to the good guys, and when you recruit to the good guys, you provoke the bad guys, and you know we've seen how that plays out in a variety of circumstances. So I just really, really wanted to point out at the, at the end of this, first of all, I thank you enormously for listening through this and for uh, going through this obviously dark-hearted and dark-seated and deep-seated journey. But that's the purpose. If more people had spoken out, it wouldn't have happened. If more people had spoken out, it wouldn't have happened. And people wait until words are useless before speaking out, and then it's kind of suicidal. So uh, that's my great takeaway. I thank you, of course, for listening and watching freedomain.com slash donate. Lots of love. Take care.